Over the last week or so, long-term bond yields have backed up pretty substantially. The 10-year U.S. Treasury, for example, is up about 40 basis points from its most recent low. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Now, if you're Jay Powell at FOMC, that's a good thing because you're raising rates, trying to tighten financial conditions, and therefore you associate higher rates with tighter financial conditions, which sounds like a bad thing, but it's a bad thing done for good reason. However, at the same time, this last week and a half, short-term rates have barely budged, which, ironically, that's where you would see rate hikes if this rising rates were in any way response to more hawkishness from the Federal Reserve. So long-term rates are going up, but short-term rates aren't, which doesn't sound like rate hikes at all. And in the context of the yield curve being so heavily inverted, longer-term rates rising relative to short-term rates that aren't moving, that's less inversion. That sounds like a good thing, not a bad thing, even if it's in opposition to the Federal Reserve. What the hell is going on here with interest rates, and why are we always so confused about them? On the one hand, this really should be simple. The way it's taught and the way we're told is that it is very simple, that the Federal Reserve controls all interest rates, and when it raises them, that must be tightening, and when it, when they, when it cuts rates, that must be loosening. And the reason we're taught that and the reason that the Federal Reserve tries to maintain this uniform interpretation is because policymakers believe you and I are too stupid to understand the complexities of the financial and monetary system. When in fact, they're the ones who have the most trouble with this money stuff. I wish I was making this up. I'm not. We'll get into that in just a minute. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, where we go into the details behind all of this Eurodollar stuff, check out our memberships at eurodollar.university, exclusive videos and content there, including question and answer opportunities. We also have research subscriptions, the daily briefing, which is in partnership with Stephen Van Meter and Tracy Schuchart over at Markets Insider Pro. Still, I think there's a sale going on there, as there is for my daily deep dive analysis. Uh, where we really get into the nitty-gritty details of money, finance, and the consequences for the economy. All the information about memberships, research subscriptions, check it out, eurodollar.university. Interest rates. Up means tightening, down means loosening. At least that's what we're told. And that's what the Fed wants you to believe, that this is all really incredibly simple. Number one, the Federal Reserve controls interest rates through a specific federal funds rate mechanism. And that when it raises the target for federal funds, number one, everybody just follows along. The entire money market system is just a singular money market system that, that reacts predictably to this one single policy input. And number two, it is as it appears to be. Rates go up. That means tightening financial conditions. Rates go down, that means loosening or accommodative financial conditions. But is that really the case? Because it's made to sound so incredibly simple, it's in one sense, so you don't ask any questions, so you just believe it. If rates go up, that does, it sounds intuitive. Like if rates go higher, it means it's more expensive for banks as well as other uh, real economy participants to borrow, like consumers or if you're buying a house, obviously if rates go up, it seems like it would be more expensive. So it sounds pretty much intuitive. 
But in practice, it is anything but. In fact, as we've seen numerous times throughout history, interest rates get very complicated very quickly and at the most inopportune times. 2007, 2008, and 2009, for example, the Federal Reserve screwed up one after another after another policies because it wasn't so simple. And as I've talked about many, many times before, if you were paying attention in 2007 and 2008, what you saw was one interest rate, LIBOR, went up as you would associate with a tightness, a monetary panic on the order of something like the early 1930s. Well, believe it or not, the federal funds rate went down, as did GC repo and T-bills, for a whole bunch of reasons that I'm not going to get into here. What I'm, what I'm going to point out is that it's much, much more complicated than it was ever made to seem because policymakers don't control interest rates and at times their influence over them is suspect. But again, the way monetary policy, non-money monetary policy is supposed to work isn't through money at all. It's through psychology. And there's a reason for that, which we're going to get into here. Let's go back to Jay Powell's most recent press conference just a couple of weeks ago. Well, interest rates had been still falling, long-term bond yields falling, inversions going crazy because short-term rates had been, well, they had peaked in the early part of November and had been mostly sideways since then, while long-term rates have been plummeting, which of course made Jay Powell pretty upset and mad. And he was asked about it. And first, his first question at the press conference from CNBC's Steve Leisman, of all people. Here's Leisman's question. Since the November meeting, the 10-year has declined by 60 basis points. Mortgage rates have come down. High-yield credit spreads have come in. The economy's accelerated. Stock market's up 6%. That's obviously the CNBC's take. Is this loosening of financial conditions a problem for the Fed in its effort and in its fight against inflation? And if so, do you need to do something about that? And how would you do something about that? Because again, long-term rates falling seems contrary to what the Federal Reserve wants because we're all told higher rates are restricting, restricted financial condition, and that's what the Fed is trying to do to fight inflation. He asked, it was, Powell was actually asked about this again at the uh, uh, later question at the press conference from Bloomberg's reporter. There's a little bit of a disconnect between the optimistic view, which Powell was just talking about some progress on inflation that Powell had just expressed about the economy and the changes that were made in the SCP, which were more hawkish, seemingly in one responding to the other. Lower financial rates or lower bond yields, which is interpreted as looser financial conditions, which from the Federal Reserve's perspective or the perspective they want you to believe would make their inflation fight that much more difficult because the market is doing is fighting them by loosening financial conditions prematurely. At least that's what they want you to believe. Um, and then the question, I'm wondering if you're reacting to the fact that markets have loosened financial conditions, or if you feel the Fed may be a little bit behind on inflation, whether the recent disinflation we're seeing is transitory or not, how this affects the idea of a soft landing if you're projecting just half a percent growth for this upcoming year. So... The Fed is, is seemingly fighting the bond market. And Powell's response to that first question, I don't think most people really heard what he said because it was quite illuminating when you, when you see it and interpret it in the context of how money markets actually work and what interest rates are really telling you. 
Because once you understand the truth of, of the matter here, everything really does start to make a lot of sense. What Powell said in response to that first question is, we think that financial conditions have tightened significantly in the past year, but our policy actions work through financial conditions and those in turn affect economic activity, the labor market and inflation. So what we control is our policy moves in the communications that we make. Financial conditions both anticipate and react to our actions. Well, no, that last part, financial conditions, as we've been talking about all along, as Eurodollar University's main mission is to illuminate, markets act independently of the central bank. And this is where so much confusion comes in because we're told to filter all our analysis about the monetary system, finance, and economy through the lens of monetary policy, which has no money in it. Powell is here, right here is admitting to you what the Fed does is nothing more than communicate intentions. As he said, our policy, first he said, our policy moves the communications that we make, but our policy actions work through financial conditions. The Fed does something, it hopes that something influences financial conditions. And they keep saying this term, financial conditions. What does that actually mean? Nobody ever stops to think about it. We're just, again, it's all supposed to be very intuitive. Interest rates go up, that means tightening. Interest rates go down, that means loosening. As I said, there are any number of examples throughout history where you can see that's just not the case. Or it's at very least, it's not so simple. I mean, how many times do you stop and think about who's higher costs of borrowing for whom? Who's doing the funding? Who's actually doing the monetary work to put in to create credit or not create credit? Who's being restricted? It all sounds like it's just one singular, monolithic, seamless system where it's all wired up to the Federal Reserve's control room where they just flick a button and it all works so easy. But as Powell maybe inadvertently admitted at his press conference, policy actions are supposed to influence financial conditions. And if markets, for whatever reason, are reacting differently than how policymakers want them to, again, the situation is much more complicated. Now it's understandable why this idea has, the idea that low rates are stimulus and high rates are restrictive policy. I mean, that goes back a very, very long time. In fact, one of the major mistakes that the Federal Reserve made back in the early 1930s during the Great Collapse was in believing this fallacy that low rates equaled stimulative monetary policy. As Milton Friedman and Anna Schwartz wrote in their 1963 work, A Monetary History, the Federal Reserve repeatedly referred to its policy as one of monetary ease and was inclined to take credit and even more was given it for the concurrent decline in interest rates, both long and short. What they were saying was the Fed sat back and watched the monetary system just utterly collapse because they looked at interest rates in a very simplistic fashion. In other words, low rates to the Fed sounded like it was easy. In fact, the 1932 annual report, which I've referred to not, not, that all, not all that long ago, the 1932 annual report from the Fed said, during 1932, which is one of the worst years in economic history, all history, 
the Federal Reserve System continued to pursue the politics of monetary ease, which had followed since the beginning of the Depression. Monetary ease, depression, again, it doesn't work so easy. Low interest rates are not always stimulus, if ever stimulus, and high interest rates, maybe they're not always tightening financial conditions either. Now, I want to go back to, under, to really understand what's going on here. Let's go to 2014. 2014 was a pretty crucial year because the Fed at that time was debating how the hell it was going to get out of its QE zero interest rate regime, understanding that the monetary system was far more complex than it's ever made out to be. Again, the experience in 2007 and 2008 was hugely confusing. If you thought it was confusing the public, the Fed had no idea what was going Why was the federal funds rate and repo rates going down and LIBOR going up and everything going around the other? And then in 2008, they introduced IOER, October 2008. And Bill Dudley said, we're going to put a floor under federal funds. And then nothing happened. It didn't do anything tools, targets, all of those things failed. So in 2014, the Fed got together and said, we maybe need to start restraining, cutting back on QE, cutting QE, doing QT, and start raising rates, but we're not really sure how the hell we could do it. And so they argued about whether or not they should change the way in which monetary policy works. And the way it works isn't by creating more money, making funds cheaper or more uh, less cheaper, more expensive, it actually works entirely through, as Jay Powell said, communication. So I'm going to go here to the 2000, this is July of 2014, debating the liftoff of interest rates, talking about a policy proposal to maybe reorient or rechange the way, which it actually was changed, to how the federal funds, how the Federal Reserve actually transmits its monetary policy. This is a, this is a conversation uh, in, in that July 2014 meeting about what they're really talking about here. So so bear with me for just a minute. Uh, the first speaker is Mr. Simon Potter, who is the open market committee or the uh, system open market manager. So the technical guy, the guy who works at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and is responsible for all the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of trading. Potter, so I gave you a version in which LIBOR might be linked to more to link more to interest on excess reserves or IRER. You are going to have a lot of segmentation across these money market rates. I don't know what that does to financial conditions. I think your assumption is I can just move up IOER and look where federal funds rate is. And that is what the center of policy is. I wouldn't be so confident that I haven't just said to banks, well, don't bother lending stuff out. Here's 75 basis points just to put money back with us. Talking about IOER. If this is the question about that, that's the hurdle right now. You're increasing the hurdle rate of banks to lend to the households and firms relative to just putting cash back with us. So the idea that he's, he's trying to argue here is that IUER influences credit behavior because you have a choice. You can lend into the real economy at whatever interest rate, or you can just park funds, leave your reserves on with the Fed and get IOER. So IOER helps the Fed transmit monetary policy, at least in theory, because it offers an alternative investment. But Charles Evans, Chuck Evans, the president of the Chicago Fed said, isn't that the point of financial restraint? We're trying to curb lending at some level. And Mr. Potter responded, you are, but I don't think your intent is to curb it quite that quickly because it's the path of, and then back to Evans. I say this in public all the time. People ask, aren't you worried about inflation? 
Oh, inflation could be when money starts growing. Yeah, you got that right. That's That means when banks start lending, and what we do is restrict that. Again, IOER, interest rate differentials. Then I stop and think, it's a little hard to envision this because banks really aren't lending all that much. But that's the mechanism here. Regardless of the level of interest rates, banks were already being restrictive. It had nothing to do with the Fed and had everything to do with what happened in 2008. And going back to Mr. Potter, IOER is the mechanism and the way you prevent them from doing that and getting the big increase in the money multiplier would be to have high interest on excess reserve and then they'll just put the money back with us. I don't understand what that would look like in terms of intent because it would be a new world for us with that big of a gap. And what Evans was saying, no, banks are already not lending. So what in IOER at that time was 25 basis points. Now in steps another uh, the, the Director of Monetary Affairs, Stephen Meyer, Meyer. Presumably this restricts bank lending, but it might just shift borrowing out of banks into non-banks. Potter, well, if they're offering much lower rates, yes. Unless other market rates go up, Mr. Meyer responds. And then back to Mr. Evans. That's very important. I mean, if I understood that better, that would change my preferences a lot. If the narrowness of the spread on this is very important for the effectiveness of monetary policy, I'd like to know more about that. I could have a very different attitude on the overnight, overnight repurse, repo, or RRP, if somebody clarified and strengthened the argument. It would play a more important role, but to date, to date I have not heard that, or if I have, I have missed it. They were talking about IOER being highly necessary to influence credit because, as they were saying, it's not so comp not so easy and it's straightforward. Sometimes they might be trying to raise rates, and maybe somebody else in the mar in the marketplace would be lending. Non-banks, in this case of this hypothetical, it isn't so easy and straightforward as just raising an interest rate. In fact, they're trying to raise the federal funds rate when there really wasn't any reason to do so, at least not in any monetary terms. The federal funds market after 2008 is a shell of its former self. There's really nobody there. In fact, targeting the federal funds rate really doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. As they were talking about before with IOER, the monetary system is far more complicated, far more broad than anything like federal funds. So let's enter Mr. Eric Rosengren, who's from the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, who really kind of ties it up for us really nicely here. Again, July of 2014. Thank you, Madam Chair, that's Chairman Yellen. I support the general approach and the revised principles and strategies of normalization that we're talking about here. I'd also prefer the reorganized revised principles, though I do have a few questions. First, I view the use of the federal funds rate as a communication tool rather than a hard target. This is consistent with the organized, reorganized principles. The committee intends to adjust the stance of monetary policy, primarily through the actions that influence the level of federal funds rate and other short-term rates. Again, the, the other short-term rates is so much more complicated. Specifically, back to Mr. Rosengren, we are communicating using a federal funds range, but it is important to move short-term rates more generally because the market is not federal funds. As Rosengren says, I'm less concerned about a thinly traded market dominated by the GSEs. I would like some blah, 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 interesting on IOER. Again, they're using the federal funds target, and now it's a target range, 
as nothing more than a communication tool to say to you and me that if the federal funds range go up, it must mean tightening, when in fact, the federal funds market means absolutely nothing. It's entirely just a communication tool and nothing else. The monetary system is far more complicated, and far more complicated than these people ever figured out, have ever figured out. Never, never talking about repo or collateral, those types of things. But here, let's, let's finish it up with uh, Gretchen Weinbach, who is Associate Director of, of Monetary Affairs, talking about exactly, summing up the proposal that the, the policymakers are going to vote on here. Um, here she says, in my remarks, I will summarize the key aspects of the overall approach to normalization discussed in, discussed in the staff memo and then describe some possible adjustments that could be made to allow for a smaller role of the overnight repo, reverse repo facility. You have to laugh at that in the context of 2021 and 2022. As noted in the top panel of your second exhibit under the approach and staff menu, staff memo, you would continue to set a target range of 25 basis points for the federal funds rate. That target rate would be your primary means of communicating the stance of monetary policy. Framing the stance of policy in terms of the federal funds rate would focus monetary policy discussions and communication on a rate that is familiar to market participants and the public. You have this irrelevant federal funds market this irrelevant federal funds rate that they don't want to change because they believe you and I are too stupid to understand the monetary mechanics behind all of these things that are far, far more complicated. And so to dumb down non-monetary policy, they continue to use the federal funds target and continue to claim when rates go up, it's restrictive. When rates go down, it's accommodative when the entire thing is far, far, far more complicated than they want you to believe. They want you to stay dumb. They want you to stay illiterate because that makes it easier for them to communicate their intentions to you. Whether that means actual tightening or actual loosening in the monetary policy, in monetary landscape, they don't care because they, don't, they know they have no influence here, no direct influence here. They are on the outside looking in, trying to manage behavior and psychology. They are not a central bank. And because of that, as, Mr., as, uh, as the conversation I talked about before, there are times when interest rates, banks don't lend even though rates were low. Or in the 1970s, banks were lending freely, highly, hugely, even though interest rates were going up. The reason the public has been left in the dark about interest rates and so confused about all of these things is policymakers both think you're too dumb and want to keep you dumb so that you don't ask any of these uncomfortable questions. Going back to Jay Powell and his press conference, what the Fed does is try to influence financial conditions. What financial conditions actually are, can be, and often has been, an entirely different matter. And once you recognize these facts, interest rates, the markets, even the world begins to make a whole lot more sense. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. As always, thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members. Check out Eurodollar.university if you're interested in becoming one. Exclusive videos, also research subscriptions, what those are about all at our website, eurodollar.university. 
Until next time, take care.